Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is our podcast series, SAP's podcast series about the difference that open source can be. And in each episode, we'll talk with experts about open source and why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hohage, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Cohen Shah and Mirko Swillos about the Sovereign Tech Fund. Hi, Mirko. Hi, Cohen. Nice to have you here. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hi. All right. Let's look at who these guys are. Cohen handles the communications at Sovereign Tech Fund. His background is marketing, internationalization, and things like that in startups in Germany and the United States. Mirko, on the other hand, has a 15-year professional experience in software engineering. He worked at different setups and roles at the Servant Tech Fund. Mirko works on the full life cycle of technologies and projects from reviewing the applications that apply through contracting to successfully finishing the projects that derive from that. Mirko, another thing you told me before is uh, you are currently learning Rust. Is that right? That's correct, yes. And uh, as we've had a session about that in July 21, I happen to have heard some things about it. Um, do you also feel that the Rust compiler, when compared to other compilers, is like very, very strict, like a sergeant major in the army or something that constantly yells at you for doing things wrong? Actually, I think it's helpful. So I have a little bit of a background with Java and a tiny little bit of Python as well. But I think the language, when you learn it coming from that direction, it's a little bit challenging here and there, but I can understand where the concepts are coming from and the paradigms. And so I think also the compiler is actually helpful. That was, in the end, the result that we had in that discussion as well. But uh, the, 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 the colleagues said uh, it is much more strict and then, of course, through that, more helpful than some other compilers. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. All right. Uh, Poen, what are you up to these days? Uh, I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving. So I live in Berlin and um, have some other American friends here that I'm going to be celebrating with this weekend. So thinking about baking cornbread or maybe some green beans or mashed potatoes, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, do you get all the ingredients like uh, sweet potatoes and lots of pumpkin for pumpkin pie and so on? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually just came back from the U.S. and I brought some canned pumpkin with me for the pumpkin pie. And my friend who was baking the pie was very grateful, but you can sometimes find it in Germany. So it's all good. Okay. But let's get to the topic. Um, the Sovereign Tech Fund, the STF, what is that? Yeah, thanks for, for asking. The Sovereign Tech Fund was set up uh, just about a year ago in 2022 to support the open source ecosystem. Uh, we focus on critical infrastructure in the public interest. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about what that means exactly. And we are supported by the German government. So um, the Ministry for Economic Affairs and uh, Climate Action wants to safeguard basically the essential components that are needed for economic growth and innovation. So does that mean you're direct employees of Robert Habeck or uh, not quite directly? Uh, not quite directly. So we actually, um, in the first year, were hosted uh, and built up by uh, Sprint, which is a government-owned corporation called the Federal Agency for Disruptive Innovation. It's located in Leipzig. And we just announced uh, this week that we will be spinning out as a subsidiary. So we'll be an independent entity 
um, you know, at some point in the next coming months, we're working on that. Sounds good. And then it's a fund, it's a government-supported uh, fund to, as you said, support open source projects. What kind of projects in a little more detail would be funded by it? So we fund a broad range of uh, what we call digital uh, infrastructure technologies, all open source. Some examples, um, we have a whole list on our website, but um, if you've heard of Curl or OpenMLS, uh, we've invested in Pendulum, which uh, is implementing memory safe uh, NTP and PTP, the language Fortran, which is experiencing a revival, uh, Sequoia PGP. We're doing some stuff with uh, Rusty S-bombs, which is a, a Cyclone DX module for Rust. Um, those are the kinds of things that we work on. Okay. Uh, Fortran, isn't that like from ages ago and comes right above Assembler or something? Uh, I guess that's more one for you, Mirko. Yeah, Fortran, interestingly enough, is, is used by um, a lot of uh, applications that use a lot of numeric calculations. And that is, for instance, like climate modeling or also modeling in, in, that, in that field. And uh, as you can imagine, a language... Um, that is that old, like Fortran, has not the developer experience that you would expect from other more modern languages. And that's specifically one field where we support the Fortran community. Okay. And uh, another example, uh, what I haven't heard of is uh, Carl. What would that be about? So curl is uh, like a Swiss army knife for downloading data from the internet. Um, so it's a little um, like command line tool, but it's not only HTTP, it's also like a lot of other protocols and uh, it's running also on a huge amount of platforms. So it's basically built in everywhere you can expect. Okay, and, and these you have identified uh, from the Sovereign Tech Fund side as being of public interest. Yes, from our understanding or from our perspective, those components that are building the foundations for a lot of applications um, yeah, are building also the foundation for our society that is more and more becoming digitized and, uh, and, and digital. And uh, those components are the foundation, as I said. Okay, Fortran, many people who at least are above a certain age uh, have heard about uh, i don't know i don't know about uh, curl or rusty s bombs uh, and the other examples you gave um, the corona warning app or something like the gaia x infrastructure uh, they wouldn't fall under your funding candidates yeah, so we try to focus on really the infrastructural uh, elements here. So not so much user-facing applications or like products that you would see more as products or something like that. So it's really more about the infrastructure, like the building bricks that build our like digital uh, environment, so to say. So it's more the invisible little wheels that nobody notices until they fail and then we notice how important they really are? Yeah, that's correct. So the the invisibility is really the uh, an interesting point here. So because it's not only the those building bricks are invisible, but it's also like the labor or the work that people do in order to maintain those building bricks is invisible. I mean, you probably can't make them much more visible, but you can at least give them some funding to drive their projects further. Or do you also deal with the visibility of things? We try to do both, actually. So um, we do invest in these. Like, we make sure that 
Um, a lot of these, if they even do get corporate funding, um, it's often for new features and for development of uh, additional stuff. And from our perspective, we think a lot about maintenance, like uh, Mirko was saying, about the invisible labor that goes in the everyday stuff that has to be taken care of to keep uh, a component or a library or a framework sort of working for everybody that wants to use it. And um, since I'm on the communication side, we also do try to highlight that this stuff exists. If you went to a politician or even to someone, you know, one of your friends and said, did you know there's this like little piece of code or this library, this framework that's like in every single phone in the world and also has been sent to Mars, that's <laughs> Pearl, you know, um, people will be like, oh, no, I had no idea. It, let me look at this app. And you're like, oh, it's not an app, actually. It's like a piece of code that helps your phone communicate with, you know, a server somewhere or it downloads things from the Internet. And so that's stuff that we are happy to explain. And I'm, you know, making it my mission to explain a little better. Oh, first to understand, of course, and then to explain it to the uh, everyone out there that is not a developer, which I am not. Yeah. And maybe also in addition to that, we also look at projects where we and our funding can make a difference. So when you look at GaiaX, for instance, there's lots of funders in, in that area as well. But um, for the components we spoke about earlier, that might not be the case. Okay, I think I see the difference. And by the way, Pound, when you just said Curl uh, was even sent to Mars, I was envisioning this public relations video of Carl Lee on Mars. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, never mind my stupid ideas here. Um, how do these projects uh, get to the sovereign tech funds pots of gold uh, that you have to give away. Do you, do you like actively hunt for them or do they apply? So as with most such things, it's a little bit of both. We do both outreach and we do also accept applications. Um, we have technologists on our team who uh, are familiar with the FOSS landscape, have worked in this uh, free and open source software in the past and are reaching out, sort of researching projects, talking to the experts in our network. So we do sort of proactively go out there and uh, find new technologies that need our support and that do fit the uh, criteria that we have around public interest and being uh, serving vulnerable people or that are threatened by, by market consolidation or dependencies. Yeah. And the other way, also, we are taking applications on our websites. So that is a little bit depending on our budget situation. So when this podcast is going to be published, it might be different. But uh, for now, we're taking applications. It's um, applied at throwintechfund.de and there you have to fill out a form with a lot of questions that we'd like to uh, uh, dig deeper into. And then we have a team that is going to review those applications and then compare to our criteria, what we described earlier, is it critical, is it public interest and so on. And then uh, we decide if we want to go forward with an application into the next stage that is then trying to understand like if the scope of the project is well defined or if we need to uh, tweak this a little bit and then uh, in the end we are going to do a contract. Okay, so you are doing a contract, so there are duties connected uh, to making a contract with you? Yeah, so you can compare to uh, a common or like a normal uh, service contract that you would also do between customers and service agencies or something like that, where a customer needs to have something implemented. And that's the same case for us as well, with the difference that in our case, the customer is the public, right? It's the German government that is acting as a customer here and uh, that the deliverables are also open source 
in the end, of course, right? So because that's our mission. Okay, so everyone, two things from that. Uh, Sovereign Tech Fund is currently still accepting applications, but it's not money for free and uh, play the guitar on the MTV or whatever. Uh, it is uh, connected to specific requirements that you will face. Um, let me drill down on applications a bit more. What are some of the preconditions or the properties of a project uh, that it should bring to be likely to receive funding? So the basics are that, you know, it needs to be in a language that uh, we understand. So we accept applications in English and in German. Um, it's great if um, you have some proposed activities that would be covered by the um, investment or the money that you are asking for from us. So an idea of sort of what the next steps are, what you want to work on, um, ideally sort of set up with the community um, the, that you're working with. Of course, uh, it needs to be free or open source software. Um, so we do not hold, for example, you know, the IP or anything like that once you're done, like that does go back. It should needs to be under uh, an open source license. And for example, at the moment, we're not really looking at, um, as we talked about before, user-facing applications or sort of greenfield or prototypes or things like that. And what makes us unique is that we actually also invest in maintenance and updates, security updates. So if you're looking at corporate funders, we know it's not that frequent that they say, hey, um, take some time, refactor, figure out what's going on um, and, and you know, invest in the community or the tooling of your project. And those are things that we do value. Yeah. And if you're really interested in looking in the details, uh, of course, the list of criteria is on our website. We try to be as transparent as possible. We'll put the link in the show notes, I think. Yep. As usual, we will have all the relevant links in the show notes. Um, anything else people should have ready uh, when they apply driver's license, banking information, or something that one might not think of? What would be beneficial or helpful is if the applicant is also referring to or coming from a fiscal host or has a fiscal host in the back of their minds already. Uh, that helps, of course, because we need someone in the end who is going to be able to uh, uh, issue an invoice um, that is acceptable by German tax law and so on. So that's definitely something we need to have to process this kind of contract. Okay, do you offer, if people are not familiar with... A term like we require a fiscal host, uh, do you have information on that on your website or offer any type of coaching on that or something? So we will support applicants also with finding fiscal hosts, but in the most cases, people also already have something uh, in, in the back of their minds as well. Okay. Now we've talked about some of this under the precondition of public interest. How far does that frequently maybe overlap with market interest, with corporate interest, with, let's say, for example, uh, SAP's interest. Yeah, I think there's this one paper, I think it's from the Ford Foundation some years back. It's called uh, Roads and Bridges, um, who did a little bit of research in the whole area of underfunded open source ecosystems. And there, coming from that title, Roads and Bridges, there is this analogy where you would have public infrastructure that is roads and bridges. And that infrastructure would be used not only by corporates, but also by uh, citizens of the society, right? And That is pretty much also in the sense of what we understand as public interest. So it's not only the public-owned health application or something that is um, government uh, technology for administrations or something like that. Of course, open source components are also used by uh, um, companies, by startups a lot. So it's 
in most of the cases, it's the driver for innovation and for velocity. So especially when you compare it to, I don't know, 20 years back, 25 years back, when you as a startup want to build a new innovative product, then you would have to write most of the things from scratch. Today, software engineering is a lot about uh, about composing um, components, right? And and those components are in 90% or something are from the open source ecosystem. So from our perspective, this whole innovation process, this whole process, how startups build products, this is public interest because it drives our society, it drives our economy. And that's what we define as public interest. Okay. And the corporate interest in that, Paul, do you want to add to that maybe? So I think that there's actually corporate interest in all of this. So if we look at other examples of things that happen in the public interest, um, we talk about roads and bridges, as Mirko said, but we also think about things like education or, you know, water, sewage, electricity networks, train tracks, or even just like the environment in general, the fact that there's clean air and water. Those are all things that corporations, private actors, individuals, but also the public broadly benefit from when they work, um, when people are well-educated, you know, when they're... Uh, can drink water from the faucet or when there's, you know, infrastructure like train tracks that you can use to run trains on or run night trains or whatever the newest thing is that's happening. And um, so that's how we see um, why there's a corporate interest also in supporting open source, because uh, in addition to the things that they directly use, like uh, Mirko was explaining, and I'm sure at SAP, there's a lot of things that are, you know, spent this whole podcast talking about the great things that SAP is doing in open source. Um, you're using those components directly, but there's also an interest in maintaining and making sure that generally those uh, building blocks we talked about, the software components, the, the libraries and the frameworks that underlie everything are also well maintained. Because if they don't, then corporations will not be able to uh, innovate as quickly, will not be able to build their new products as, as easily or maintain or update their things. Yeah, I do like the roads and water and so on analogy because of obviously we also, as SAP or other corporate players, ride on that public infrastructure in general. Uh, so I like the analogy of that one. Does that mean uh, uh, that uh, the corporate world is involved in a, are we just like another entity uh, or are we involved in a particular way or plan to be involved in a particular way? Like, do we get a say in who gets funding or other way around? Uh, are you looking for corporate money to add to the funding? So we're definitely looking into ways how to extend our budget. So that's, uh, I think, uh, not very surprising here. And uh, yeah, especially for 2024, we have some ideas around that. So as we said in the beginning, we just became an own like standalone legal entity that would make things a little bit diff um, easier on, on that end as well. And yeah, we want to create this or in increase this kind of awareness towards the corporate world, towards the industry as well, to uh, invite people to um, yeah, uh, fund open source, the open source ecosystem in a more um, sustainable way, way as well. So we know that the industry is doing a lot in terms of um, contributing to open source projects. Um, but from our perspective, this is mostly um, having a very specific interest or a very specific Uh, project that they want to do, right? They have some some requirements uh, in a technical sense that needs to be um, implemented and they want to have this in the repository so that, that they can consume it from there. So they would uh, file a pull request and have this pull request then merged eventually. But 
at this point in time, most companies get out of the project again. And there is no structure currently, uh, in most cases, to uh, support maintainers, for instance, in a more sustainable way, because that is what we described earlier as unvisible labor as well, where... Um, those maintainers are doing a lot of things to maintain the community, to review PRs, to decide also in an architectural sense if this feature is going to be useful for the project or not. I mean, that that's a lot of work, that's lots of consideration and thinking that needs to go into this. And in most cases, maintainers are doing this in the evening and on the weekend, um, like besides a day job and um, their, their childcare or whatever, right? So, and, and that's something we want to change in the future. We want to sustain this environment in a way that maintainers are getting paid for this unpaid labor. And that's where we think it would be beneficial to have the industry also coming in. And we, as the Soren Tech Fund, we have some expertise now in uh, also this connection to the community. So we have this network and we already proved that we can, you know, spend money in a meaningful way. So we would like to invite the industry as well to increase their investment there. Yeah, I guess what you said about maintenance is not even particular to the open source world. I think maintenance is never the sexy part of software development. It kind of lacks the look what I made part. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Carsten, actually, because that's something also we see in the engineering world in general, right? That uh, lots of effort needs to go in that part of a software project where you need to keep the lights on. And uh, interesting enough for most of the time for the management, this is surprising that we are not doing features all the time and that we are not just investing in adding these new features, but it's most of our energy or a big part of our energy and effort is going to in maintenance. And that's not very surprising. This is also the same case for the open source ecosystem. No, I guess uh, here the roads and water supply analogy works pretty well. Again, keep it running is maybe more important than always building new. Um, but uh, another question, because it was in the news a couple of weeks, months ago, was uh, the half a billion of corporate money going into Aleph Alpha. Um, things like that, which I guess you don't have anything to do with. Um, that's nice. But does it increase also awareness of corporate money that should be there to fund things that might be at a broader interest? Or does it rather take away money that could have potentially gone into the unsexy, invisible, smaller nuts and bolts that the Sovereign Tech Fund is funding? Well, I think that those are basically two totally different kinds of, of investment, right? Like there's investment in companies that are working on things like AI or new projects and trending topics. Generally, of course, we would say it's great that there are more people thinking about this uh, critical and visible infrastructure. So I'd say, you know, if you're thinking about, um, you know, we want more actors, we want more investors and more people to say, yeah, it's really important to do the maintenance work that we were just talking about. Um, and so Aleph Alpha, I'm sure is very, very exciting but we are really adamant, I think, about drawing attention to this uh, critical infrastructure that's invisible, to the maintenance work that's invisible. And we shouldn't forget that even innovation um, like artificial intelligence and all these language models and neural networks and deep learning, they really rely on a lot of basic um, components that are open source. And so even that stuff, which is super cool and cutting edge, also needs the things that we're focusing on in order to continue to work properly. 
Okay, I think now that we've uh, addressed it from two or three different angles, uh, it has hopefully become clearer what the things are, the little bits and pieces that keep everything together that you're looking for and that you're funding. Anything else uh, we should discuss in the context? Yeah, I would be interested as we speak and, you know, those insights from the industry are also very much interesting for us as, as well as the Sovereign Tech Fund, which is more from the public side, right? Um, how does SAP as a large German software vendor, maybe even the largest European software vendor, something like that, um, think about their activity in open source? But do you think how it could be increased? Okay, now let me start like that. I'm the podcast guy. So I have no entitlement uh, to speak about any financial involvement or whatsoever of SAP as a company or any very forward-looking uh, things about our open source strategy. Uh, for all I know, uh, SAP doesn't directly finance any open source projects, uh, but we do uh, provide a lot of financial support to the foundations in that space, like uh, the Linux Foundation, the Eclipse Foundation, Cloud Native Computing Foundation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, also, SAP has a huge number of uh, open source projects where we are the main maintainers. Also, uh, from contributions that are associated with SAP or SAP employees on the OCI index, um, we always are found among the top 10. We also uh, publish that kind of information, of course. Uh, there is a complete list of foundation memberships uh, that SAP has uh, that is uh, published on our open source community pages. Uh, they are always posted underneath this podcast as well. Um, and uh, finally, we also release a report of all our engagements uh, in open source activities um, every year. So uh, towards the end of 2023, if you stay tuned, uh, you will be informed about that. Yep. Thanks, Carsten, also for pointing this open source index out. I think it's always great to have a little bit of a competition there as well in terms of uh, contributions and so on. And um, also it's nice to see like the different areas, the different fields where you contribute as a company. That That's great to see. From our perspective, as I said before, um, we'd like to see the sustainable engagement increased like in the things where we feel that it's currently not very well funded. It's around the invisible maintainer work, what, what we talked earlier. And um, yeah, that we also... Yeah, want to, again, create this awareness that this is also securing the business value that everybody gets or like that the industry gets from the open source ecosystem. Maybe for, as some examples, we're not only involved in the uh, feature-driven, uh, visible, sexy things there. Uh, we have a project that is SAP-driven that, for instance, uh, we just talked about it a month or two ago, uh, that uh, deals with uh, software bills of delivery, so machine-readable, uh, processable uh, formats to uh, basically have the freight papers down the line of, uh, of building software, um, if I summarize that correctly here uh, at least i think that's not one of the most sexually visible things uh, up there uh, and might even fall under your funding if it wasn't sap driven um, but uh, anyway uh, does that qualify yeah thank you so much Carsten. so i think also with the whole s-bomb uh, discussion mainly driven from the uh, cyber resilience act I think there's still, I mean, that's not very sexy, as you said before, but still it's going to be a requirement in the future and we need to have the tooling in place. And that's why also the Sovereign Tech Fund 
uh, supports and funds um, some very interesting initiatives in that field. So as we talked earlier, like this Rusty S-Bombs uh, project is about uh, a cargo, like which is the, the, the build component for Rust, plug-in for that uh, system to generate uh, Cyclone DX based as bombs in an automated way. And that's important, I think, to have this as an open source comp uh, component that is reliable and that, um, you know, fulfills this need from the open source developers out there. Just to jump in for our listeners really quickly here, you took it from SBODs to SBOMs. Uh, and if you go down the history of this podcast, uh, you will find that we differentiate between the uh, software bills of delivery and the software bills of material. Uh, sorry uh, to um, be correcting there or at least uh, adding there, uh, but we have this uh, in, the, in our podcast series here that we point out that difference. Um, with that, the um, famous before last question, um, where, except for the very obvious homepage of the Sovereign Tech Fund, uh, would people go if they're interested, find out more, uh, want to apply for funding? Is that mainly on the homepage or are there other places, YouTube tutorials, uh, uh, image videos, uh, whatever? So definitely go to SovereignTechFund.de. That's our website. And we... Uh, or I definitely personally updated it pretty frequently. And uh, so all the latest information is on there. We have a pretty lengthy uh, description of sort of our mission and our values, but also a long page about how to apply. And um, we're also on um, LinkedIn, if you want to stay up to date that way. Um, we post all about the new projects that we're investing in there. Also on the Fediverse, on Mastodon, uh, at softtechfund at mastodon.social. Uh, still on Twitter slash X. And um, I think I could also say you could find us on Blue Sky. So we do have an account there as well. Yeah. Always Sovereign Tech Fund. So just look, look for that. All right. Okay. And we'll have the links under the podcast as usual. Last but not least, um, if there are three to four points uh, that you want everyone to take away from listening to this, what would they be? Well, I can, uh, I'll, I'll start. Um, so definitely, um, I think Mirko talked a lot, very interestingly, about the invisible work that underpins all um, of the digital things that we do, our entire digital world. And um, those components are actually quite fragile. There's sometimes one or two people working on stuff. So remember that. Yeah. And coming from that, uh, maybe it's important to uh, to remember that we are all responsible for maintaining this digital infrastructure, be it the uh, public or the industry. Yeah, and to round it out, um, just to say a little bit about us, I, uh, the Sovereign Tech Fund is unique. Um, Germany here has created something pretty special to support open digital infrastructure. And um, we're really happy to be pioneering this work and hope to be a blueprint for other you know, countries like the EU or maybe the UN to um, work on supporting digital infrastructure in the long term. And then let's close it with that call to action. Uh, thank you very much, Poen and Mirko. It was nice to learn about the Sovereign Tech Fund. It was nice to have you as guests today. Uh, please say hi to Robert, by the way, if you meet him next time. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Carsten. 
Great. And thank you all for listening to The Open Source Way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and don't miss the next one. We usually publish every last Wednesday of the month, although we might be taking a break in January. You'll find us on OpenSAP and in most of those places where you find other podcasts like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or obviously all those open source podcast clients out there. Thanks again and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.